guys, and welcome back to The Biblical Woman. I'm Kat. I'm Nicole. Today, we are going to be talking about the importance of studying the Old Testament. I'm so excited to talk about this topic because we have done a couple deep dives into some Old Testament books, Lamentations, uh, Obadiah. We did Habakkuk this morning, uh, which we'll release after this episode. But we've done a couple. We decided that we needed to do an episode on why it's important to study the Old Testament. We decided to bring in a expert to help us out with this topic. We have a very special guest with us. He is, I'm going to go ahead and say he's an author because he's got some amazing books that are getting ready to come out. He is the host and producer of Equipping You in Grace. He is the founder and executive director at Servants of Grace. He has several degrees, and most importantly, he is married to a very, very, very smart woman, and (laughs) I just learned that about him. So it is my pleasure to introduce Dave Jenkins. Well, thank you so much, Kat and Nicole, for having me on the Biblical Woman podcast. It's, It's always an honor and a privilege to have... Uh, to be able to come on any show. So thank you for that honor. I appreciate it. I am married to my beautiful uh, wife, Sarah. We've been married 13 and a half years and she's the love of my life. She is my best friend. Oh, I know. Uh, we live in <laughs> we live in Southern <laughs> California. Well, I mean, that's what all the ladies do whenever I say that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah she's, she's awesome. Um, I, you just kind of went off on what I do. I, I additionally to what Kat said, I, I write for a lot of places. So I, I recently started in the last few weeks writing for a Bible study tools. I write, I'm a featured writer at Christianity.com. I write uh, quite a lot, not so, a lot, but for Modern Reformation, I review there and write articles. Even in the magazine, I write quite frequently at Reformation 21, but not as frequently as the other places. Some things that m- maybe people don't know about me, I'm a huge uh, golf fan. Um, I spent my day today watching the Masters, you know, while working here in my office. And uh, I, I watch every game of the Seattle Seahawks, although the even some of the things they do, I don't like. But, uh, you know, the, the the bowing of the knee and all those things, I don't like that. But other than that, uh, it's a privilege to be with you and uh, to share a little bit about myself. Oh, I guess I should say the most important thing about myself is that <laughs> I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh Whoa, how did I miss that? Uh, I've, I've uh, a little bit about my testimony, I guess. I believed in him when I when I was five, just sitting in my mom's lap. I just acknowledged that I, growing to church, I knew about the Bible and Jesus and just knew at that moment I needed Jesus. And uh, when I was six years old, I, I first started sensing a call to ministry. Of course, I had no idea what that looked like. Um, around like my freshman year or so, I really started like studying theology. And so that was really pivotal in my development. I just started reading and reading and reading. And, uh, you know, it's taken me through a couple degrees, obviously, and uh, 20 years of public ministry now. And it's a joy to, to wake up and to serve the Lord. Um, I, I joke, but it's also true. I walk from uh, down a flight of stairs to my office. So I walk maybe 10, 15 steps, you know, down to my office, to my workplace. <laughs> and uh, so it's great. 
<laughs> and I get to talk about Jesus and the Bible and write articles. I mean, uh, it doesn't get much better than that, right? I don't know. Yeah, that got the dream job, I'd say. Pretty much. Yeah. People are like, how do you get that? I'm like, I don't know. Just the Lord. Yeah. That's the best answer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm so excited that we get to talk to you about this topic. Yeah, it's me too. <laughs> Nicole and I have been doing some deep, I shouldn't say some, we've been doing a couple of Old Testament deep dives and we've got more planned in the future. You guys absolutely love them. I personally have learned so much since we've started doing this. Nicole and I were talking about today, like even though you can read through the entire Bible, sometimes it's just nice to stop and really go verse by verse and dissect what the author is talking about. I've just learned so much personally from doing these, but we're going to be talking about some common objections to studying the old Testament. I hear some of these quite often and it's very sad. What are some objections that you guys hear uh, when you tell people that they should be studying the old Testament? Well, one that I hear is that it is confusing, that there is so much history, that there's so much to sift through, and it just becomes very confusing is what I hear a lot of people say. Well, and I feel like that one's really common with women. Like I hear that more so from women than men. Yeah. I I think people do have a problem with thinking that the Old Testament is confusing. So I hope that this will be this always helps me. I know that when I explain this to people, it really helps them understand what the author is doing. We call this uh, authoral intent. So every author in scripture, every book in the old, every book in the Bible has a goal. It has a message to convey to us. Obviously, we know that message. It's centered on the personal work of Jesus. But before we even get to that, we need to understand like what the author is doing. For example, since we're talking about the Old Testament, we could go to 1 Samuel. Now, the author there, he uses real characters. They lived in real history. Um, That's really, really important. You know, I think it's in 1 Samuel 17, we see David fighting Goliath. That's just a very well-known story. So I'm going to just explain one thing that can be, people can confuse this. They think, well, this is all about the smooth stones, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That's where they take it. But that's, that's, actually misses the point. The, the point of the story isn't about smooth stones. It's about the fact that, and the story tells us this, he arrived, David arrived just at the right time in the providence of God to be used by him. In fact, we can say that God sovereignly placed David in that situation right when Goliath was blaspheming God. And the blaspheming of God, it moved David he, you know, he, what's even more amazing, if we backtrack just in the previous chapter, David had just been anointed to be the king of Israel. And here he is. He's coming in at just the time he's asking his brothers well, what's happening, and he sees what's happening. He's moved to action because Goliath was blaspheming God. So the blaspheming of God it moved David to action and then to defeat uh, Goliath. God used David to defeat Goliath. We know that part. In the story, it's not David who is sovereign over that. It wasn't because he threw a bunch of stones at him and used a slingshot that that he was defeated. Okay, sorry, sorry to blow your interpretation out of the water there, everybody. <laughs> in, in in the story, as I said, it's not David who's sovereign. It's it's God who used David to defeat evil. 
So we need to understand the various movements in a story and how that's vital, particularly when understanding what the author is up to. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one thing that we always talk about on here is just the importance of context. Like that is crucial to whether you're Old Testament or New Testament. And I think especially for the Old Testament, that is maybe a, what can kind of help with that confusion is taking time to study what, like who wrote the book and why it was written and the context in which it was written to whom it was written to understand all of those basic things for each and every book, I think makes it less confusing um, and more likely that you're going to get the accurate overall picture and message of the book. You, you know, here's, here's an example. Uh, women love stories, right? Uh, my wife loves to read fiction. So I know that women love to read stories. And, but if you think of it this way, what, what are the narratives about? They're all stories, but they all have a point to them. They're not just about us. We're not the hero of the story. And the character isn't the hero of the story either. The, the sovereign God is at work in that person's life, in that situation, and is sovereignly working for his good and his glory in the midst of that situation at, for a particular purpose uh, to accomplish uh, the purpose of God you know, in, in whatever that situation is. You know, some people object even to the idea of Saul, and I used First Samuel as an example. Well, Saul ends up rejecting the Lord. His heart ends up at the end of the book. This, it's very sad because here was the king of Israel. You know, he was anointed to lead the people of God, and he ends up with his heart hardened by God. All sorts of people object to that, but that's where First Samuel ends. He ends up totally disbelieving God. And totally rejecting God. And we wouldn't know that if we didn't see over time how he hardened his heart, whereas the, the author even uses a contrast with David to show what it looks like to have a soft heart, to be to walk blamelessly before the Lord. Now, I'm not saying or suggesting that David walked perfectly in First Samuel. He didn't, but he kept turning back to the Lord, uh, whereas Saul didn't. Just to your point, Nicole. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's good. And for somebody who, and maybe especially a woman who is maybe wanting to learn the Old Testament or wanting to read the Old Testament, what um, resources or maybe a practical tips could you give to help bring about some of that understanding to the context so that it's not so daunting or that, so it's not so confusing. Yeah. This is a good question because context is so important. And that's what I was talking about earlier. You know, we must know the context Um, in biblical interpretation. We would call this the analogy of faith, which is the idea of letting scripture interpret scripture. Every biblical passage has a biblical context So we should take time to define words. We need to locate the place it describes. We need to summarize the biblical text's main point. Then we need to move to how the verse in question it contributes to the chapter's teaching, kind of like I was just doing with with the story of David and Goliath. If we notice in the text what's happening there before that happens, that tells us, for example, why he's there in the first place and what his goal is. That's one example. If we fast forward, I know we're talking about the Old Testament, but but this relates. The New Testament has much to say about the Old Testament. In John 6, Jesus comments about the bread of life. They need to be read in the backdrop of the feeding of the 5,000. 
So the bread of life discourse, it, it references the Lord providing manna for Israel in Exodus 16 and Numbers 11. Just that kind of understanding, recognize that when, like, for example, much of the book of Hebrews references the Old Testament. So you need to have a good understanding of the, the Old Testament to read, really, Hebrews. The second thing is to check your theology. Um, the Reformers uh, also emphasize the idea of the analogy of faith, which is the idea that no interpretation should contradict the, the teaching of Scripture. So you need to make sure that when you're engaging Scripture, you, you might think, well, my interpretation is correct. But the point is here, if your interpretation compromises on the truths of Christianity, you, you can be sure that you have misinterpreted the, the, the particular text. So you need to have a good understanding of, of some a little bit about theology and, and those types of things. I would also say to pe- people that they should study the saints of the Old Testament, the reformers and the early church fathers. You know, we don't have just a, we don't have a new interpretation or a new people say, well, that's my new take. That's the hottest take. That take has probably already been taken. Sorry. So that's why we need to study church history. And so I would say that the best interpreters of scripture, they've learned from church history. They've studied church history. They have a good understanding. So you should check your interpretation of the biblical text against some of the very best biblical interpreters. Uh, Lastly, we believe in the illumination of the Holy Spirit, which God, the Holy Spirit indwells us. So he opens our eyes to biblical truth. Um, so biblical interpretation, it's a it's an exercise that requires dependence on the, the Holy Spirit to avoid error and to interpret scripture correctly. You were talking a little bit about the New Testament, and one of the objections that I hear quite often and from an alarming amount of people is that they describe themselves as a New Testament Christian or a New Testament church only. What would you say to this person or to this church with that belief that they only subscribe to the old or the New Testament? Well, Paul charged the elders at Miletus in Acts 20 to preach the whole council. Um, he told uh, Timothy in First Timothy, or excuse me, in Second Timothy 4, 1 through 2, to preach the word, right? Uh, to not preach his opinion. In fact, he said, he goes on there to tell people to, to beware that there's going to be people who are going to tickle people's ears. Who, who are those people that are going to tickle? They're false teachers. So, yeah. so why do we preach the word? Why is the word central? We have to remember one thing. Um, it's a well-known example. Calvin got kicked out of Geneva. He was preaching the word and those things, and he got removed. He immediately went to Strasbourg, and he got challenged to preach the word which he did. He wanted to just be left alone to his books and to his writing and, you know, just leave me alone to my books and my writing. That sounds great, by the way. But God challenged him again, like he did in in Geneva. Well, he goes, he gets asked to come back now to to Geneva to preach the word. He picks up from the, the next text from the book that he was preaching on. What is that? What is that? That answers the question. We have to preach the word because when, when the word, and, and by the way, just to be clear here for listeners, I believe in expository preaching, which is taking the point, the most simplest definition, explanation of that is taking the point of the passage and making it the point of the sermon. And then in response, I'll notice, notice how I'll say this, in a responsible way, after you've done that, pointing people to Jesus from that text. And, yeah. and we'll probably talk about that here in, in a little bit, but, you know, if a church isn't willing to preach the word, 
then we got a big problem, right? Because then you're going to allow air, you're going to allow false teaching. And this is what Paul is telling to the elders at Miletus, to, to Timothy, to preach the word, because it's not an opinion. It's it's the word. The word. What does the word do? Uh, Paul tells us in, in Romans uh, 10, 9 through 17, that God uses the word uh, for the salvation of people. Um, God uses the word to uh, sanctify the people of God, to help them grow in grace. It's vitally important that the church preach the word. That, that's why when we were talking about, when I was talking about David and Goliath, you know, that's not a moral example. It's the sovereignty of God at work in placing uh, David in the right situation, not even to defeat uh, Goliath uh, so much, but but about the sovereignty of God and placing David in the right place at the right time to be used uh, to respond to the evil of of Goliath and, and the and the people there. We have to not only understand the context, but the larger whole of the Bible. And you know, the Old Testament, it, it's the foundation. You know, Jesus, Jesus quoted from the Old Testament. Um, he taught how it all centers on him. So so that's why I, I'm talking about why these stories are so important because they show us how God's worked in real people's lives. And that shows us how also how he's will work in our lives, you know, by his sovereign grace. So that that's just really important to, to grab hold of. And I, and I like to say it this way, God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways to reveal sovereign grace. I like that. I love that. Jesus and the writers of the new Testament had such a high view of scripture of all of scripture. So then we should too. I think also when you mentioned earlier about that every book in the Bible does point to Christ. And I think when we recognize that, that one makes it more interesting. It makes the Old Testament more interesting. And it just in general makes the entire word of God just more rich. Yeah. I guess this kind of takes us to why we should study the Old Testament, right? Um, in John five thirty nine, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You know, the word interpreted in Luke 24, 27 is used. It means to unfold the meaning of what is said, to explain, to expound, or to translate into one's native uh, tongue. I'm just going to read that passage. Um, it says this in Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, to your point, Nicole, that, that's exactly right. You know, we read the Old It shouldn't be the most fascinating thing. We, we shouldn't neglect it. When Jesus says all the scriptures, he's saying about himself. So this shows us, to your point, your excellent point, Nicole, the chief message of the Old Testament is the personal work of Jesus. Jesus taught the disciples not just an occasional verse predicted his coming, but that that whole message of Scripture concerned himself. So the first reason that we need to read the Old Testament is because the Old Testament contains a storehouse of prophecies that find their fulfillment in Jesus. You know, we could look at Isaiah 7:14, um, his virgin birth of Jesus in the town of Bethlehem. Um, that's also in Micah 5, 2. Others pertain as ministry, such as Isaiah 61.1, which Jesus preaches from in Luke 4, his very first sermon. Second, the Old Testament teaches the coming Messiah by means of types. Now, types are, these are really important to understand. Uh, these are persons, events, institutions that typify something about Jesus. So, so we can say that Moses was a type of Christ as our deliverer from bondage. 
David was a type of Christ as a faithful king. Solomon typified Jesus' reign of peace and glory. The conquest of Jericho was a type of Christ's conquest over Satan. The tabernacle typified God as he dwells through, among men through Christ. So it's important that we read the stories of these Old Testament people and events, not just to your excellent point, Nicole, as interesting history or moral fables, but to teach us about the person and the work of Jesus. Well, there's a third point here. Third, the Old Testament ceremonies, they speak about Jesus Christ. The Levitical priests anticipated Christ's ministry of reconciliation for sin, and the sacrifice showed forth his saving blood. Uh, an example of this is in Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement in which the high priest would enter the most holy place once a year to make a sacrifice for the sins of people. And the details are all significant. The high priest would put on clear and holy garments, signifying the Messiah's perfect righteousness to serve as priest before God. He then took two male goats from the people. These were spotless to show that the true sacrifice must be sinless. Uh, and on one of these ghosts, the high priest laid his hands, signifying the transfer, or we would call this imputation, of the people's sins to this scapegoat. Leviticus 16.10 uh, tells us that this goat was sent away into the wilderness, far beyond the sight of the people. Uh, so that's what that means. It shows our sins are taken away by Christ. And so the other ram was killed as a sacrifice, and the high priest took its blood into the most holy place. So in the presence of the glory of God, before the tablets of the Ten Commandments was presented the law of God that the people's sin had broken, the high priest sprinkled blood on the mercy seat, just as Christ died to present his own blood to atone for our transgressions. So all these three things, the prophecies, the types, the ceremonies, they're all vital ways uh, of seeing the Old Testament teaching about Christ. I know we're going to talk about the five books of the Old Testament and why we should read those here, but but I'll just go there just briefly. Uh, you know, the first five books of the Moses, known as the Torah or the Pentateuch, they're filled with prophecies of Christ. We see that in Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and Joseph and Moses. Most of these people are either types either of Christ or of faith in Christ. The ceremonies of the law that point to Christ were, were given by God through Moses. So that the scribes and the Pharisees in the New Testament should fly the banner of Moses and so fail to comprehend his witness, it, it condemns them. Through the law he taught, this Jesus, which judges their sin and the gospel Jesus preached, which they refused by their opposition to Christ, Moses, above all, accuses these Old Testament scholars. It, it also accuses each one of us. Uh, as Jesus said, we unless we come to him, that we may have life, John uh, 540 says. So we, we shouldn't look down our nose at the scribes or the Pharisees, uh, though their guilt is very great. We, we should come and confess our own sin and come to Christ to be saved by the gospel, both he and Moses uh, proclaims. Well said. And I had to think back to, as you were describing those Old Testament ceremonies. So earlier this year, I did a two-part blog series called Nothing But the Blood, and it touched on exactly what you were talking about with um, those specific sacrifices in the mercy seat. And it really wasn't until I kind of dug into that for myself and kind of understanding it made that connection, you know, of what Christ's atoning sacrifice was. 
you know, like it made that so much deeper and so much richer having understood what the, the old Testament piece of that was. Yeah. That was a good blog series. I loved it. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Um, But just going off of what you guys said, I really want to offer some encouragement for women. I feel like a lot of the times we just read Ruth and Esther, and that is the extent of our Old Testament reading. I just want to encourage you guys to pick a different book from the Old Testament to study. Ruth and Esther are great if you've never studied them. But if you're like me and you've grown up in church, I have, well, since an age I can remember, I have studied those two books for about 18 years So it's time to pick a different book. It's great to read about Ruth and Esther, of course, absolutely. But I mean, it's an all play, like the books of the Bible and just women should not be intimidated or think that because it was written by a man that they can't learn something from it. (laughs) Nothing could be further from the truth. (laughs) I know, right? Yeah. Well, that, that, that's really good. That's really good. You know? I'm just going to hit the same thing I've been saying, you know, all, all of history, it's the story of God, you know, and you, if you belong to Christ, you're part of that story. And so you are his creation made in his image, his likeness. You're part of his redemptive plan and the story he's weaving around the person and the work of Jesus. So, so study the whole Bible and not just the books you like read the whole Bible because the whole scripture has a whole point and it all tells about Jesus. So you want to read about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, The objection that people don't want to read the old Testament because they don't, they think that somehow that's the, the mean God, that's the angry God, the wrathful God. They like the new Testament, the God of the new Testament or Jesus of the new Testament better. Is that a legit objection? I I mean, do you hear this? (laughs) Yeah, that that's a, that's a big objection. Uh, that people have. Well, God in the Old Testament, there's a different God in the Old Testament than there is in the New Testament. And and that's, I understand the objection because you have violence, you know, in the Old Testament, a lot more violence. But but when we say that, we're saying that there's two different gods and there's not. God's revealed himself fully as as God, you know, omniscient. He knows everything. He he sees everything, um, all those precious things. I like to take people when they say this to Deuteronomy 32, four, which says the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and just as he, the the first thing to understand is in the old Testament, you know, we do see God getting upset at sin. He takes sin very seriously in the old Testament. You know, we, there had to be an atonement, which means to cover over. There had to be a covering over of sin Otherwise, God would bring his judgment. People in, in the New Testament, we, we tend to treat this, unfortunately, very mildly. And that's that's putting it probably as, as nicely as I can. You, you have all sorts of people today who would deny a wrathful God. Even in the book of Revelation, there's, there's huge chapters where we see that the judgment of God falling on non-Christians. Why is that? Do we somehow have a different God post-resurrection? Well, the answer is Hebrews 13, 5, and 9, which tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So just like Deuteronomy 32, 4 is saying that all of God's ways are just, a God of faithfulness without injustice, righteous and justice. He, uh, God is just and he's righteous in punishing sinners who reject him. We also need to come back and say that God doesn't desire that 
people experience his wrath. Uh, this is why Jesus Christ came in our place to be a propitiation uh, for our, our sins, to, to, to deal with the full weight and the fury of God the Father and the cross. That's what Jesus says in John 19.30. When he says it's finished, it's, it's signed and sealed, it's done in his blood. But we know from Romans 1 that people reject God, that they, not God, harden they harden their hearts we we see that in john's gospel in fact john uh, chapters 5 through 12 the religious leaders continue to reject jesus teaching it wasn't jesus that was hardening their heart their hearts were getting hardened because they rejected jesus they rejected his teaching in, in one of the most saddest episodes right in in the gospels uh, jesus is giving hard teaching and he often did at the end of john 6 people are leaving And he says, are you going to leave too? And what does Peter say? He says, no, I'm not going to leave. You have the words, and this is good, Peter, right now. You have the words of eternal life. So the hard sayings that this is a hard, this is a hard thing. Um, People struggle with it. But at the heart of it, we have to say that God is faithful, that he is just, that those things that happen in the Old Testament, they happen for a reason. They happen to express his wrath against sin which is just. So we have to have a a really good understanding of sin, but we also have to have a right understanding of justice. Without going too political, I'll just use it as an example. But, you know, a few months ago, we saw the protests on the streets. But what is beyond the protests on the streets? What does this show us about the human heart? In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it tells us that God set eternity on our hearts. So the natural desire for justice is a good thing. It's hardwired into our DNA. So what the people wanted was justice. What they did was destruction because they weren't seeking God. They didn't trust in that God would mete out his justice and his timing. Instead, what what happened is, uh, you know, chaos and destruction, not restoration. And God tells us that we're supposed to help the oppressed and those types of things. But, but the reason that we do those things is because we believe in Jesus, because Jesus has given us new hearts. And so because he's done that, we, we can work for the good of our society. You know, even you know, some people say, well, this isn't Reformed theology. Actually, it, it really is. Um, you, you see Charles Spurgeon, for example, the Prince of Preachers, he started some, uh, I think it's 60 to 80 orphanages and other things. He worked among the people, and he cared about them. Now, nobody's going to accuse uh, Charles Spurgeon of being a social justice warrior, right? And, and I am so far from a social justice warrior. I just want to be clear about that. But uh, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that divine justice leads to uh, action. It leads, Jesus says, uh, to love him, and that should lead to something. It should lead to loving our neighbor fight against sex trafficking and abortion and all those things because of a love for Jesus that he's placed in our hearts. First John 4 tells us that he's loved us first. So it's not our love. It's it's his love in and through us that enables us to, to do those things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that people forget sometimes they have this New Testament idea of who they think Jesus is as just this good guy who taught a lot of morality and moral stories. And that's not an accurate picture of who Jesus is. And I forget which chapter it is exactly in Revelation, like 19 or 21, 22, maybe, where it describes Jesus as the rider on the white horse, and he is the judge, and he's like coming 
with the sword and like on his thigh and on his robe is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Like that is, that's a different Jesus than most people think of, I would say. Um, but it's yeah. consistent with, with who God is. He is all of who he is all the time. Awesome. <laughs> so I have a question. Go for it. Um, going back to like Leviticus and the Torah, why should Christians study the first five books of the Bible? So the first 11 chapters of the Bible, Genesis, are pivotal because they tell tell us, you know, about creation, fall, you know, redemption and restoration. You know, in the in the first first two chapters of Genesis, we see that man was created in the image and likeness of God. God created the world. He said it was, you know, he didn't make an argument for his existence either. <gasps> Excuse me. Sorry. Um, not sorry. But, you know, people say that it's like God didn't make an apologetic for himself. He said, hello, here I am. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am. I'm here, you know, and uh, I, I created everything. I told Adam, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. And what did we do? We, we ate from that tree. And it, some people say, well, that was Eve's fault. No, that, that's not Eve's fault. God told Adam to not eat from that tree. What Adam did, the reason that sin is inherited, uh, passed along, uh, why we're sinners by nature and by choice, isn't because of Eve, it's because of Adam. It's because of his disobedience. God gave good news, even in the midst of that, after you know cursing the work and the land and everything, he gave us what is called the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel, the good news. Um, which, you know, we know we've talked about as centered on Jesus, which is why it was so important, I think, to talk about the types and the anti-types and the various things, which th these are all things about biblical theology that are so important because they help us to connect to Jesus and uh, to what God has done and what God is doing in our lives. So understanding the first uh, 11 chapters of, you know, Genesis is, is critical you know, in the book of Exodus, Jesus uses the book of Exodus repeatedly. He's the Passover lamb, the, the sacrifice that would pay for our sins. He rescues us. He redeems us. Um, that's the point of the story of Exodus. And we can fast forward and we can see how that, even in Romans 5, at one time we were enemies of God. What did God do? He intervened in human history. The, the whole purpose of the incarnation was for Jesus to come under a death sentence to pay the penalty for us. You know, think about that. Uh, we we kind of minimize that, I think, in the church today. Christmas is coming up here in, in about a month or so. That Savior that was born in a manger was a sinless substitute. He came not just to be born in the manger, right? We, we'd like to talk about that, but he came to die for you. He came as a baby to die, virgin born, totally sinless, to pay the penalty. The thing is, that's even more amazing is that he knew he was coming to die. And in Luke's gospel, I think it's Luke, yeah, Luke 2, you know, this isn't a matter of, of sorrow. This is a matter of worship. You know, we call these the Christmas carols. This is a matter of worship. And worship is not just the, the words that come out of our mouth, that where do they come from? They come from our hearts. And this takes us to a very important thing in Jesus's ministry where he talks about, uh, in Luke 6, 45, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Worship, it's not just a matter of singing the right songs. We believe the right things. That informs our worship. But it's a matter of our whole lives. 
And so why does that matter to reading Genesis or reading the five books? Because, I mean, you you can't even begin to go to the New Testament. You can't even begin to go to the books of history and wisdom and the prophets and whatever. For example, you can't even begin to read the prophets without understanding Deuteronomy, because these are all the prophets are doing is calling the people back to the covenant that that God established with them. This has been said, and I agree, uh, by people far smarter than me with many, many titles, many more titles after their name than mine. But they say they're covenant, the prophets are covenant enforcers, because that's that's really what they are. You know, but we wouldn't know that unless we read the books of the law. You, you mentioned Leviticus. So I'll just say this really briefly. You know, people get stuck. They stop at Leviticus, right? They're like, what <laughs> in the world is this in the Bible for? But what's amazing about this is in Leviticus 11, 44 through 45, God says very clearly that he is holy. He's set apart. Now, stay with me here. And if we fast forward to the New Testament, in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 15, God says he is holy. It quotes the same exact verse, except this time what Peter wants us to understand is that holiness is not just some facet of our life. It's, it's who we are. It's who we really are now in Christ. We have been made holy. We're to uh, represent, we're to demonstrate the holiness of God in, in all of life. There's another f- kind of Latin phrase, Dale. It means uh, uh, before the face of God. It's so important because it, it, we, we not only serve the creator, which we see in Genesis 1 and 2, but we have a covenant with the Lord. This means that we're doubly owned and we're doubly accountable. Ouch. That's scary. So, so God is the one who gives us life and breath. He's the one that sustains this world. He governs the cosmos. He, he gives us the ability to even have this conversation. So yeah, we, we're doubly owned and we're doubly accountable, but we have a savior who's, who, who alone can forget us of our sin. And, and that's, and that's good news. Amen. With first five books being so foundational and important to everything else, where should someone start if they've never studied the Old Testament before? I would say start in Genesis. Just, you know, and the other thing is people say, well, I've got to read this huge sloth of whatever, you know, I've got to read five or 10. You know, I would just say maybe even not even read a chapter a day. You know, don't, don't be so obsessed with, I have to read through this whole, the 66 books of the Bible. You know, there's 39 in the Old Testament. You know, start in Genesis, work your way slowly, get some good uh, resources. And I like to point people, if you Google uh, recommended Bible commentaries, uh, Tim Challies has a list. So you can type in uh, recommended commentaries. Challies is a good one. Uh, Recommended commentaries. Ligonier Ministries has a good one. Uh, uh, Try to stay away from the the more technical commentaries. So you'll want to probably a more devotional commentary. Uh, There's two that I like. There's uh, Preach the Word, which and that one has more commentaries than the second one, which is the Reformed Expository Commentary Series. You, you can find some, but, you know, as appropriate. The, the more technical commentaries uh, in the Old Testament, you'll, you'll have mostly Hebrew and words. And, and so that might be uh, out of the reach of the average person without those kind of training. Same in the New Testament. You know, I would say try to stick to the more devotional commentaries, not because I think, not because I'm insulting anybody's intelligence, but because again, there's a lot of the words and they don't necessarily define them and what they mean. And so stick to, uh, to good solid resources. Another thing I would say is try to get Logos. Logos is so awesome. Um, 
you know, it has a lot of tools. Uh, uh, they have a, ref a reformed package, uh, bronze, silver, and gold that you can get. So I would say um, that that would be something to look into as well. Absolutely. Our future episodes, I know we'll be talking again at some point, just kind of about an intro, kind of some basics of how to study the Bible. Yeah. And I know, I think we're planning on doing an episode later too, specifically about the Old Testament law. And I think that will be good too. All right. Where can our listeners connect with you and how can they support your ministry? You know, everything kind of goes back to Servants of Grace, uh, servantsofgrace.org. We have over 300 writers. So I would say if you want to write, uh, send me an email. Great news is, ladies, we have women, two women's editors nice. uh, that we have brought on. Um, their names are Alexa and Laura. Very nice uh, ladies. And they're very theologically solid and mature. I would say if you're wanting to write ladies or not to take away anything from simply devoted, mm -hmm. but uh, we have a series coming up here at the beginning of the year on biblical literacy. We're trying to make a very, trying to relaunch this aspect of our ministry. And so I would just encourage ladies to reach out to, to them. You can reach me uh, at Dave at servants of And I will point you to them. Um, or you can contact us through our guest submission guidelines, which is on servantsofgrace.org. Personally, you can find me on Facebook. Dave Jenkins, SOG is my Facebook. Uh, Twitter, Dave J. Jenkins. Instagram, I'm the same, uh, Dave J. Jenkins. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, David Jenkins, and then uh, you, you'll find me there. I'm on Parlor under the same. Dave J. Jenkins. Uh, I, I am on MeWe. I go where people are. There I'm Dave Jenkins 18. You mentioned my podcast. I, I uh, had the pleasure of interviewing a lot of people on there and I enjoy that. So that's called Equipping You in Grace. And I teach on the Servants of Grace podcast where I, I do expository sermons and I, I take questions and I answer them. We have a manhood podcast, uh, Warriors of Grace. So I, I'm enjoying that. I, I'm, I think we're like 30 episodes into that one and, and it's, it's been amazing. So you can find everything at Servants of Grace about all that or find a, find any of those podcasts on any platform, iTunes, Spotify, Google, probably all the other ones too. I want to mention our magazine, Theology for Life. That resource is really for the average layperson. So we've done over six years, we've done uh, over 20 issues of our magazine so you'll find all sorts of things on abortion, on we've done a, an issue on studying the Bible. Um, we've done, we've talked about the character of God. We've talked about suffering on justice, scripture itself. So I serve as the executive editor of that or read articles from our over 300 writers. I oversee all that. So I try to make sure everything is very solid and biblical and uh, point you to Christ. So, so it sounds like awesome. you stay very busy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I will definitely have to sign up for that magazine because I think that would be good just even for me personally to read. It's free. So, I mean, you can't be free. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <Well, free. laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. For our listeners, go listen to Obadiah or Lamentations. Pick an Old Testament book to dive into and study. And like Dave said, if you've never done it before, start with Genesis, go from there. 
and be sure to support Servants of Grace on whatever social media platform you are on because there's way too many to name now. (laughs) It's no longer like the big three. So (laughs) be sure to support them. And I am going to sign up for the magazine and I think you guys should too. Definitely sign up for that. So our closing verse today comes from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 